0: Hello and welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I'm your host, Abraham. And I'm your co-host, Ryan O. And uh, so uh, it occurred to me that there is, uh, if you search for Why We Do What We Do, you're going to come up with Tony Robbins a lot. Uh, (laughs) So this has nothing to do with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's huge. Uh, Big, very famous dude. And obviously his uh, search rankings are a lot higher especially when it was just one, one episode that he did. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So we, uh, just, just in case anyone was wondering if we're eventually going to get around to talking about Tony Robbins, don't have a plan to, (laughs) um, that just, it was just a coincidence. We were talking, when we were discussing naming the show, we were just basically trying to talk about what we wanted to do with the show and the phrase, I just want to talk about why we do what we do came up a couple times to the point where I finally just said, I think that's I think that's it. I think that yeah. says exactly what I want the title to say about what we're doing. So I just, I just felt like it might be worth mentioning. Yeah, no, that's totally good. Okay. So what's on,
1: uh, what's in store for today?
0: Uh, well, primarily let's get into talking about some technology, um, and specifically some of the behavioral technology, uh, psychological technology that exists out in the world, um, to, to help people. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about, uh, first, I think you have a really good description of What we mean when we say like behavioral technology, what does that mean?
1: Yes. And I I wanted to preface real quick. There's a lot of other fields that do similar stuff. Okay. Uh, we call it a behavioral technology. There's probably a lot of other terms out there. Sure. Um, and I'd love to actually know what those are. So when we put this out, whatever social media platform we can get those from, I love learning those sort of aspects.
0: Cool. So anybody um, who like is already in like behavioral technology stuff and you hear thing, or you don't hear, I guess, what you're familiar with, uh, let us know. Like we'd love to to incorporate some of those those things into what
1: we talk yeah, about. Yeah, or if you're like, we call behavioral technology this. I'm yeah. super interested in that. So I can go learn more about like how other fields talk about it. Absolutely. Um, So behavioral technology, it was this thing I kind of stumbled upon um, after being in, just trying to help people in general. And it took a while until I found a framework that I really was like, hey, that makes a lot more sense. Um, That's a lot more useful. So really simply behavioral technology uh, is broken down into two different things. We call it the technology of tools and the technology of process. Okay. And I'm pulling that from some colleagues, uh, some some mentors, I can't call them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, some some, some me- people that we admire. <laughs> they kind of mentored and yeah, yeah, they've mentored slightly. Okay. Um, nothing like like in a full mentorship model, um, but that would be uh, TV Joe Lang and Janet Twyman, and they just kind of peripherally helped me out uh, whenever I reached out to them. But they wrote this really succinct, cool article. It's actually a free resource um, that we're going to put out there. It should uh, be in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and they talked about technology tools, technology process. So really simply the technology tools is anything that's like includes sensors, devices, uh, your software, gadgets, apps, like things that people typically call technology. So tangible things. Yep. Tangible things. Okay. Well, yeah. Tangible software is a little tricky on the tangible, oh, but yeah. Um, it still turns into this like tangible thing that you kind of interact with. So sure. okay. yeah, I think tangible is a pretty solid place. Okay. Um, so that would be what we call the technology of tools. And they wanted to really distinctly separate that from the technology of process. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of the world works really hard on and towards. But when you now verbalize and kind of separate those things out, you're like, it, it makes it a little more useful and easier to understand. Mm-hmm. So technology of process, there's a few ways you can look at it. So really I like to look at it as how we interact with the technology of tools. So things we actually do um, and how we use those technology tools. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Sense. No, okay. I think that's great. Um, so there's a few different ways that you might do that. It might be the way that something's particularly designed, a certain sequence of steps that they have you work with it in. Okay. Um, it might be understanding larger context that they're trying to get you to do something in. So it's like uh, maybe if I'm trying to help some students in a in a classroom, understanding the the current legal environment and the pressures on the school district, and like what the public's pr- opinion is on those sort of things. Okay. So understanding those sort of like systems and those variables, that could be part of the process as well. Okay. Right. Right. Um, all the way down to what a certain student I- is encountering mm-hmm. and how you're trying to help that student, for example. So it might even we might an individual. In the
0: textbook that I am required to use (laughs) for my Psych 101 class, (laughs) in the beginning of the textbook, it's pretty interesting. They have a whole section on a process of how to study and how to read their book. And so like you think that would fall under the category of like technology of process. Yeah. It's the, you know, they have these, it's a very specific set of steps about which you're supposed to go along to, um, to, to capture what is intended to be, what you're supposed to get out of that process. Yeah. Yeah, it's the how to. Okay. The how to.
1: Yeah. That's way to be funny. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So basically, it turns out that the the how tos um, are really complex. I think anyone who's ever like tried to get that, uh, you know, the motivation to do something, or they've downloaded that app, is a big thing right now, to, like help you kind of organize your life or like motivate you to do something. Yeah. Anything that's like that, that just seems like like billions and trillions of dollars of markets <laughs> that are out there. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, I think you're trying to really solve that technology of process with tools. Um, so that's kind of the idea of like a behavioral technology is like pulling these things together to achieve whatever the desired outcome is. Okay. Cool. So I take just a little bit of a step back. And as we were discussing and preparing for this
0: episode, I felt like it would be necessary to bring in just what are we hoping that you as a listener is going to be able to get out of this. So there's so many things that we could discuss. Uh, in terms of the tools and the process, because on the market, there are just, I mean, at least dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of any of these things that exist in isolation or are used together and have variations on how they're used. And it would not even be in anyone's best interest for us to just sit and list. Mm -hmm. What all those are. So we're really going to pick a few top ones. But um, the purpose of this this episode is to draw people's attention to the processes that are useful in terms of finding solutions to what's going on in their own lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right. What else you got on that? Yeah. So the, the purpose of the episode... I really want people to come out of that. There's this tech of tools, this tech of process. There's not a lot of really solid case studies on this. There's we're we can talk about. Okay. Um, And part of it is there's a lot of fields and things that come into this. Sure. So I can't say that like empirically this has been shown to, right? Yeah. yeah. Why science or data, but separating those has just been practically extremely useful. um, When it comes to like trying to understand how to motivate or help somebody out, Mm -hmm. whatever that is, Uh, whether it's in the context of an organizational setting, whether it's just your own kind of self-management process, or you're teaching someone like a learner in a school system, any of those sort of things,
0: and it's especially um, useful when those things fail. When you have a tool of some kind that for some reason doesn't work, yeah, to to understand like what these tools are, what they're meant to do, and what ha- why they break down. Yeah, was it a
1: tool breakdown, right? Software right. or something, or was it the process breakdown? Yes, exactly. And That's then, what I meant. To say. Yeah, and exactly. So I think that there's a lot. Anyone who's trying to understand why people do what they do, trying to really work on that tech of process side. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things, the how to's and like, how do we kind of solve those sort of things? Um, just so th-
0: as an aside, I was just thinking, as you were saying that I think it's easy to, when you're in a situation where something breaks down yeah. and the immediate reaction uh, might be to look at, uh, there's a broken tool. Yeah. And in this case, the broken tool is the organism. Like the the, per, the person who messed this up, there's something wrong with them instead of something wrong with the process. Yeah,
1: So another way that we talk about it a lot is uh, the, the learner is always right. Yeah. Right? So you mm-hmm. can't blame the learner. And the idea there is if you're you're blaming the learner, then uh, you're kind of ignoring all the process stuff and those variables that might actually be influencing and most times have a pretty darn big role mm-hmm. in why things aren't working.
0: Yeah. That's actually, it, it's probably a whole topic on its own to, to bring in this. Because we mentioned this before, the learner's always right and don't blame the learner. Mm-hmm. This this That that whole concept, I think, deserves probably
1: a whole separate set of treatment. A hundred percent, yes. Yeah. So uh, I think there's a lot of fields trying to, what I was getting I was, there's it's hard to draw lines, like mm-hmm. any fields trying to, to some degree, work on this how-to. Problem, sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's from physics, chemistry, biology, psychology, right? So my next thing for anyone that's listening is just like, and we kind of filter that through what's actually been supported with some sort of research evidence, right? Yep. A lot of support or science that kind of backs those sort of things. Um, there, I guess it can be all over the board, right? So that kind of gets us to the, back to the point of, like, why we started this thing in the first place, right? Like, yeah. we're trying to, like, provide people useful sort of tools, those sort of things. So I think the big thing is, like, once you separate the tech of tools and tech process out, can you also then, uh, then filter with, is there any support or evidence on these sort of things? So let's talk about the how these
0: processes, whether or not they're automated, um, and, or if they require sort of maintenance and also what happens when we try and, and scale up something that works at a small level to a large level to meet a lot of the needs of a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Okay. So like I was saying, there's like a ton of people are doing this, like startups, I think spend millions or billions probably across like trying to solve these sort of things mm-hmm. and why people do what they do. Um, there's clearly potential solutions out there. And the, the question comes the who comes of, uh, Like, can you figure out something that works? But then when we talk about scale, like, can we hold its integrity? Like, what it's intended to do. The how-tos, right? Like, how it's actually going to solve this problem. Will that stick around as you try to reach, you know, from one to ten people? One to a hundred?
0: And this is relevant both to a a tech of uh, technology of tools as well as the technology of process. Yes. Is that creating... There are times when tools, when you try and scale them up to be available to a large number of people, you run into the barriers that may not have been anticipated Around like what does it actually take to, to produce something like this mm-hmm. on a really, really large scale. Yeah. And I was just watching um, – I don't know if you uh, watched John Oliver at all, but uh, – I actually he, do. Okay. Yeah. He did an episode on like dialysis machines uh-huh. and how there's only so many of them that could possibly exist. Yeah. So that's an example of like a type of tool that it, – it, it's difficult to scale it up. And if you try and scale something up too fast – that the integrity of that thing can start to decrease as yeah. you're just meeting the needs of like quantity over quality. Yeah.
1: So in that one, the actual issue with dialysis was that uh, it was putting pressure on the system, which specifically was the nurses to mm-hmm. uh, to try to not purposely but like pressure on them to kind of skip steps, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it influenced both. Well, it really influenced the process, uh, but you, you can see how... With the amount of demand that existed, how that could also uh, affect the technology of of the tools as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I I don't want to say that it's the technology of tools or process right? like these behavioral technologies that are they're trying to solve these problems. And there's mm. so much pressure on those sort of things, right? Yeah. It's like so out of their control. They're just trying to move as fast as they can, right? For the most part, there might be some corruption things going on there, <laughs> but the I guess those pressures are just insane, especially when you're working in that sort of level. Like I can't even imagine those sort of things. I have not specifically done anything like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, when I start working, like. I've worked in where we've been in, you know, working in a, a single week with 100 to 200 people at the same time and type of service. And mm-hmm. that's insane. I can't imagine having millions of people that I'm responsible for. Yeah, um, no kidding. So I got some sympathy out there for them as well. Oh, like yeah. that what they're working at.
0: It's difficult to anticipate the kind of things you're going to run into that are going to threaten the integrity of the system or the tw- uh, whatever aspect of the technology uh, that, uh, that might be threatened by, yeah. by that scaling up.
1: Yeah. So when I, I w- want to kind of hit like what these things could look like. So it might be like a book, like you put out a book, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're talking about yours and like, here's how you read this sort of stuff. Yeah. That could easily be uh, part of the tech of tools, or it could be a computer application, a lot of smartphone apps or things that people interact with a lot right now. Um, and the important thing is it doesn't matter what it looks like, like how does it function? What does it provide you? Sure. Right. So it, the question is, does it maintain its integrity or does it do what it says it's going to do? Um, as you try to automate or, uh, have it reach more and more people with the same sort of kind of resources or intentions. Right. Right. Um, So I think uh, some of the things as we go into some of these models, like there's a lot of them have really well-trained people Mm -hmm. and that's, it seems like a correlation of like the first step of you get someone that's really well-trained in how to deliver these sort of things. And over time you can kind of package them into a more automated sort of version. Sure. And those sort of things, like when you're packaging, uh, when you're, when you're in the process of like having a really well-trained person on, that figures out how to teach something, for example, that's on the right path. there's still have a long way to go probably, but they're making some really good progress in those sort of things. Yeah. So there's some things that I've done where like as you tutor and teach more, you mm-hmm. can kind of package those things. Do you experience that in your classrooms at all? Uh,
0: yeah, really absolutely. Easy. Especially once you've taught the same class, like the, the same topic and the same material a few times – like you, end, you come back to a lot of the mm-hmm. same strategies and it's just sort of you rework them or they might stay exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but I definitely found that uh, I, I would come up with these particular like activities and methods and I would just sort of use that same thing that became like an instant sort of package mm-hmm. that I could then apply next time and, and be like – approach it as this thing worked last time for me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make it work again this time but I need to modify it a little bit because yeah. this is what fell apart when I used it last. But absolutely it turned into, to this sort of package intervention I have where I now have in my uh, on my computer I have a whole folder of like all the things that I use yeah. that is a template. So yeah. whenever I go to teach a class I copy and paste that folder in there and mm-hmm. then I go through and make changes as I need but yeah. it ends up being that like that's that is that's part of my system.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No for real. Cool. That's really awesome. So so, I think that behavioral technology could be, uh, could be, and especially in my eyes, right, but it could be for others as well. Like, the end goal, I uh, put that in quotation marks, um, <laughs> of where, like, how we're trying to, like, what we're trying to produce to help people out okay. in any social situation. And So, so, I, so would our podcast be a behavioral,
0: uh, behavioral technology? Uh,
1: not necessarily, maybe. But okay. what I think, <laughs> um, I actually haven't thought about that too much, um, but what I think is, what it could really be is if you took this episode plus some of the others, mm-hmm. you could really maybe look at things in a totally different way. So maybe okay. like the memory one, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were looking at memory in the traditional sort of way, and we kind of um, convince you to at least like look at an alternative point of view yeah. of how we describe memory of you know these different cues and things that are going on in the environment yeah. that help you remember these sort of things. Cool. And maybe if, once you do that, then you're like, whoa. So like maybe. Uh, this memory thing could actually be increased. You know, you, Maybe you're developing some sort of app or process to try to help people remember things. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a memory palace. <laughs> um, Teaser. Whoa. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> you're you're trying to do that, but you're kind of running into some problems. You're like, whoa, if I separate this tech of process and this tech of tools, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a tool issue, it's my process, and now you know where to jump in. So you can oh, kind of say great like... great point. Yeah, right? So I think you can really blend these together. Okay. Not that we're producing a technology... Technology on our podcast, um, but we're definitely using the tech and tools to maybe convince uh, some others to look at more of the tech and process side.
0: Cool, cool. Um, All right, so now you now you know how to be perfect at everything in life.
1: Well, <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> you know, a starting ground. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one <laughs> thing right. I must say is we'll get into some of these examples, but it is so much work. Yeah, uh, I think like to to do these sort of things. I think anyone can relate to that, especially yeah. anyone who's like in the trenches trying to work with this sort of stuff. So
0: it's both. It's at the same time. It, it's almost ironic in the way that a lot of times these tools that we try and adopt are we create new ways of doing work so that we can do other work. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is like I have a love hate relationship with checklists, mm-hmm. uh, for, as an example, and that can be a really useful tool um, that is used in a lot of settings for a lot of things, but. The uh, the the problem is like I oftentimes feel like the checklist is just more work I have to do, yeah. and it's like it's supposed to streamline my work, and that I make sure I go through all these steps and all these things are hit. But it's sort of like, ah, yeah, now I've got to go through and like go do the checklist. Like that's just another yeah. thing I have to do yeah. now. But either way, like they're that's just part of developing these systems so that uh-huh. they're a little streamlined. <laughs> you want yeah. to dive into some of these? Let's
1: dive into a couple. Okay, cool. Um,
0: all right, so there's a few really big ones that um, I would. I specifically wanted to talk about one and, um, and the one that I wanted to talk about was toilet training. Okay. Okay. This is the one I know kind of the least about. Oh, perfect. Um, so well, is, lead the way. This is the thing I've done a lot of. <laughs> and this is an example, I think of well, this where, particular model. and actually maybe you can correct me on this. I think that my, my in, interaction with these was not as clear as yours because of, of your history with mentors, <laughs> your experience yeah. with people who taught you this. So this looks like, to me, both an example of the tech of tools and the type of process at, that work together. Yeah. And so really what this comes from is a book by Fox and Azrin called Toilet Training in Less Than a Day. And although that sounds insane to many people probably who have toilet trained their children, uh, actually is a, a pretty effective system. It's worked a lot. And it's been refined over the decades now that yeah. it's been available so that it's more efficient and more effective as well. But essentially it is a packaged process that's in a book and it's a series of steps that you take in order to efficiently and effectively accomplish toilet training. Yeah. That's just the gist of it. And it consists of a few steps. So the basic steps of the toilet training are taking into account what are all of the bodily functions and the environmental stimulations that are involved in – having a successful toilet episode, if you will, (laughs) which is to say either urinating or defecating uh, on an actual toilet and not just in the pants you've been wearing all your life at this (laughs) point, which are diapers. Um, And uh, so it consists of, you first of all, you have to be able to practice, okay? okay? Because you won't be able to get good at it unless you are able to practice doing it. And a lot of people, when they're doing their t- toilet training, they just wait for these processes to naturally occur as they would throughout the day. Um, but you can really speed that up by increasing the number of practice opportunities. Yeah. And they do this by. Basically feeding and giving the kid tons of things to eat and to drink. And it's not force feeding. They don't like put a funnel in their mouth and just cram right. it in there. Um, but it's just you know things that they want to drink and plenty of water and juice and stuff. And so that they are happy and they're drinking a lot of fluid. And it just gives them the opportunity uh, to practice um, releasing their fluids uh, <laughs> to urinate. Put it, say that yeah. right out. Yeah. You're urinating um, uh, more frequently in a given day. And the other thing that's important about this is then providing as much positive reinforcement for successful attempts at this as possible. So they – you already are giving them an opportunity to practice more by giving them more fluid. And then every time – you just basically have them around the toilet Mm -hmm. the whole time. And they call it a a potty party. Yeah. (laughs) Which is – everything's awesome. Yeah. Everything is awesome because they basically sit on the toilet a lot. It's like um, – I think they put them on and off every five minutes. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact system but it depends on how, how often they're going. Uh, but you put them on, on the toilet every few minutes. I give them an opportunity to practice. They don't need to go. They don't go. That's fine. If they do go, party time. Yeah. It's like their favorite toy, their favorite snack, um, lots of like you know fun, silly things that they like and that make them happy. Um, and then if there are times when they go when they're not on the toilet, then you have to like specifically – provide some correction they call it positive practice um but it's really just like this is not where we go potty we go potty over here and a lot of kids like it's really young um Mm -hmm. so kids might not necessarily understand all the nuance of that um but they understand the like this is not this is not happy parents versus this is happy parents um and so then it's just practice putting them on the toilet again like you went here but you need to be going here put them back on the toilet okay and the another element of this is that they remove the diapers so that they don't have an opportunity to go where one you can't react to it yeah. And two, like they're already used to just going in their diapers anyway. So that's the context in which they're used to urinating. Um so you have to remove the diapers, put them in normal underwear and then lots of opportunities to practice. I mean that's really the gist of it. Yeah. Um that and, is. but this whole this whole process has it's been researched, I mean, just to death. And even then, like people are still trying to look at what do we really need of this? Do we have to have the positive practice? Do we have to have the lack of diapers? What is it that's like the most important piece and there's been some conflict and disagreements and people find different things sometimes but so we're not going to go into that the point is that like the research is is pretty well there this is a very effective way of doing it and so it goes into uh it it was published as a book where it then becomes something that anybody can access you can pick this Mm -hmm. up for like a dollar on amazon if you look it up and and you can open up this book and apply it and so it involves both the process. As well as the book itself
1: is the tool, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that's all I had to say about yeah. that one. Well, no, that's awesome. That's cool. a perfect example. Awesome. Um, I also like that it's not like when we talk about the tech of tools, the mm-hmm. fact that it's a book. Right. But that's pretty cool actually in today's age. Right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it shows that it doesn't have to be in a certain like thing that we typically call technology. Right. Right? It, it is, can simply be a book. So, the, the one that I've become more fond of, um, and that's because that the two that I referenced earlier, Chilling and uh, Janet Wyman, were like, on this project, and this yeah. is what kind of got me into this whole thing, um, was Mimeo Headsprout. Um well, it's been called a few different things. Headsprout Mimeo was a program or an organization that, that had it under its umbrella. Right um, now, it's under learning a to z.com at the time of this recording.
0: That's a lot of things, yeah. So,
1: <laughs> it was originally called Headsprout. And what I thought was really cool that didn't really resonate with me and it just like clicked one night mm-hmm. when uh Jillian was describing to me was they challenged themselves with could you teach a kid to, to read and comprehend what they're reading without ever hearing or seeing them? Right, that's a... you just like stop and think about that for a second. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. That's a difficult challenge to overcome. Like if anyone's who's who's ever worked on teaching reading or like understanding what you're reading, like it is so difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, you, you really you really need to have.
0: Oh, say you really need to. They they found a way to to deal with this. But, um, ha, being in a position where I've done lots and lots of teaching kids to read, um, you need to be able to be there to provide that feedback to their attempts to read something. Yeah. But they
1: found a way. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, what they did is they, they had a team of I can't remember what it was, somewhere around 22, twenty-five. It sounded like it seemed small for a, the scale of the project. I think I think that's what it was. I'm mean, gonna have an asterisk over this entire description. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, and I will correct the things in the show notes. Okay, so we're um, pro-
0: we're probably a little bit wrong about all of this. But there was there was
1: uh, uh, multiple millions of dollars. I don't okay. know if it was three, four million dollars, something crazy like that. Okay, uh, for them to work over uh i believe a two to three year time period okay and what they did is essentially tried to figure out uh what are they trying to teach how they're going to teach it what are one big component there was what are the the entry repertoires that right. people oh. need to have so like what sort of skills sorry uh did they need to have prior to be landing into this program right um, to be able to learn these things what's your starting place and from there uh, how do you teach and then refine based on your data to kind of like make it the most efficient process so right. when they ask themselves like how do i how do we do this without ever hearing or seeing the student? The answer was mouse clicks. And this was in the, the late 1990s, early 2000s when they were working on this. Mm-hmm. And the uh, measuring of a mouse click is, is even kind of crazier. Like you have a right click or a left click. Right? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I
0: guess like a how long it takes for you to react, like a reaction time. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. And this is where like the, the actual uh, details of everything, like I don't know, they haven't I don't know if they've actually been published much and that's part of your intellectual property at that point, right? Sure. Um, So I'm sure there's patents and those things around those sort of things. But yeah, it was measured through mouse clicks. And uh, what it was is somewhere, something crazy around like 500 iterations of them creating a program, testing it, and making refinements off of it. Mm -hmm. That they worked on that for years and they got it down to uh, a 90, I believe it's a 92% success rate of, but the key thing, which is crazy, right? Yeah, that's, so, that's impressive. So, and and the I children, think schools don't even have that
0: success, yeah, right?
1: <laughs> children are English speakers. Um, so the prereqs were like they could speak at a first grade level. They could operate a mouse. Okay. And then I always mess up one of these. But there was like understand the concepts of like first, next, last, and then. Okay. I don't think Ben's in there. There's something else. But okay. There was just for me, it was just like they drilled down, like, these are the things the kids need to know. Um, They need to be able to do that. And then we can sit them down, and they can start working through this. Okay. And the way they did that to kind of highlight is, like, they were using a computer. So it works on any uh, laptop, desktop. And it's internet-based. Um, At yes. least now it is. I don't
0: know if it always was. But it's and now it's inter- fully internet-based.
1: Yes. So the tech of tools was those computers and mm-hmm. those, those gadgets. Tech of process was what they was basically through the measurement of the mouse clicks whether students were doing things correct or incorrect based on the skills that they needed to learn. So you just have this crazy long skill hierarchy of all the different things the kids needed to learn. Yeah, um, is, that they figured out the order of. Right, was a lot. <laughs> yeah, and what they what they did is they refined that so that their tech of uh, process was the sequence in which they go in. Nice, and how they measure those sort of things. So one uh, beautiful thing that I got to experience. Um, about two years ago uh, and then four years before, ago as well was, uh, so I've had two iterations of this where there was like a classroom that we started the program in on the same day with about 10 or 12 people. Okay. And Wait, so you actually, with, with this program you did? Yeah. Oh, cool. Sprout. So we started, um, set up a room, grabbed a couple of the staff that I work with that were very interested in this kind of idea. Okay. Um, and I said, watch this. Cause you're, I don't know if we're ever going to see this again. Like, mm-hmm. or I will, like, we will definitely not as a group, probably <laughs> like, you know, like, like just be able to, like cherish this moment. And what it was was everybody started, and within about 30 seconds, there was already differentiation on everybody's screens. Cool. And that was the tech of process working. That's impressive. And they're, like, taking in the data, the mouse clicks, and altering it for what that person needed to learn. So the software was basically
0: reacting to the position of the learner so that it could best provide the next step in the curriculum sequence yes. so that they could be successful in yeah. that curriculum. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. That's hard to do. Yeah. That's hard to do, I think, as a teacher. Yeah. That's um, definitely going to be difficult to program a, a yeah. computer to recognize the subtleties that yeah. can exist there.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a good example of, uh, it was a lot of interdisciplinary people. There mm-hmm. was a few psychologists on there, you know, behavioral folks that were working on it. There's a lot of other designers and things like that. A lot of cool stories that they ran into that we can get into another time. So, uh, around April of 2017, there was around 3 million people that have received this. Okay. Uh and if you think about ninety-two percent of people having that success rate, that's a ton of children. Yeah. Um, the cool part is the teacher was removed, right? Essentially, like they were at least uh, scaled down. They have okay. to watch the classroom and help out. Right. They have to help with those eight percent. Um, but that was kind of what I, I think a cool exemplar of a uh, behavioral technology.
0: Sure. And before we talk, we go into this next one. I think it's probably important to note that we've been sort of talking about these specific products that are available for purchase and we are not being paid <laughs> to do any of this. We have virtually like, n- I don't even personally really know all the people in-, in this that well. Like I do know, um, I have met and have spoken to some of the people involved in the Mimeo Headspout. Yeah. Sp- Headsprout pod project. Um, I, don't know Fox and Azrin personally at all. Anyway, it's just important to say that like we're not being paid to do this and we have no financial interest and and, um, we're not just doing this because like we get money in our pockets from this. Um, (laughs) All of our money comes from uh, donations uh, from the people who are so, who are been so generous already to contribute to this. Um, But just worth, I think pointing out that we don't have a conflict of interest and we're not just selecting these things because like we know these these people or anything. Uh, So the final one that I really, that we were going to spend, a decent amount of time on was uh, this thing called Memecare. Yeah, Memecare. <laughs> um, and so I'll just start a little bit, and then you can fill cool. in a little bit more. Yeah. Um, just because I actually interviewed one of the people who was involved in the development of this organization. Um, it, it just as an interview. I just was like, I, I'm super curious about what you do and how you do it, and like just fill me in. And you um, know that? Yeah, yeah. What, it was, who was it? Uh, it was uh, Hank Pennypacker. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. it was um, years and years ago now. Uh, and it was it was for uh, another project I was doing when I was in undergrad, um, but I had to uh, interview someone specifically in a position like he was in, cool. and just uh, had to ask him like, "What what do you do?" Like, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So anyway, the the mammocare system is uh, has to do primarily with detection of breast cancer, and um, according to their website and based on what I've heard and what I understand about this, most people cannot detect uh, breast cancer just by feeling it until it's about the size of a golf ball which mm-hmm. is rel- relatively large. Um, the cancer cells have amassed to about that size. And with the care system, is specifically designed to train people, nurses and practitioners, and even people who are just, they're, they're just citizens and they just want to know how to do this, Yes, where they can uh, feel on themselves or feel on other people something as small as about the head of a pin or maybe like a pea, like yeah. really, really, really small. So much more so that it allows for earlier detection and then they can go get a more intense and thorough screening to really look at what's going on with those cancer cells uh, or if it is a cancer or if it was a false positive. But at least it t- taught people a, that more early detection side of it. And it was all based on this um, this understanding of the technology of um, teaching primarily mm-hmm. and, as, and also understanding how uh, cancer cells work and what that feels like and what that looks like. So – it was uh, it, this is really cool technology because it, it became this manualized procedure where they could tr- train just about anybody to take this course or this class and become certified so that they could detect these really, really small
1: growths that could, that could potentially be cancer cells. I've briefly spoke with uh, Hank Panny Packer myself, um, but he presented a conference in 2012 or 13 that okay. I attended. He was talking about the ethical implication, like ethical side of this sort of thing. So they, cool. they packaged it up. My understanding is they worked on this throughout the '70s on the research, they kind of mm-hmm. packaged it up in like the '80s, um, more so, and they were getting it out there and. I don't know what there is now. If you look at their website, there's a ton of affiliate programs that are out there. Uh, yeah, that, that all over the you know. world. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and they were approached by a very large organization mm-hmm. that everybody interacts with daily. Yeah, like a multi-billion
0: <laughs> um, dollar company. And uh,
1: they offered them a very nice sum. Uh, you didn't mention what it was, but very very lucrative package. Yeah. Um, and... Part of the stipulations, though, were that they needed to bring the price point down. And to mm-hmm. do that, they had to alter some of the technology tools involved in the gadgets. Mm-hmm. The problem was is I was going to not allow them to hit the same... Uh, it, the tech and process side wouldn't work the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would uh, Im- have really bad implications on their actual behavioral technology that they packaged up. Sure. So they uh, walked away from that offer. Which ca- that's kind of cool. Like, cr- crazy. Yeah. yeah. like uh, I don't think that many people... Um, would have an easy time doing that. So I have like the utmost respect for them and doing those sort of things. And so they're really committed
0: to the integrity of their process to ensure the effectiveness of their tools. Yeah, and
1: I don't know if there's been any other things developed since then. Yeah. Um, but it was uh, it was interesting and very nice to see. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's that great. Things as well.
0: I think yeah, that's pretty cool um, when people do that sort of thing. And
1: so where did Mammocure end up? Is it like the go to, or is it? Because we talked about it's, it's out there some affiliate programs.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and it is all over the world. Um, as I understand it, it's it's pretty successful in where it has been implemented. Apparently, in 2014, the American Cancer Society exclusively recommended radiological screening, um, which is mammograms, um, to go and get the X-rays that way. As a and is the only form of pre-screening for breast cancer. So I don't know what that might mean for the future of this particular company because um, I, I think I mentioned before, like this is all something that's done by hand mm-hmm. and um, and is based on uh, an individual practitioner being able to detect these things, yeah. uh, which is not necessarily the case with a um, totally electronic and automated screening mm-hmm. system. They cite on their website a study suggesting that the effectiveness of mammograms is equally as effective as um, like the hand-based screening for people who are trained to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm, you know, not going to say either way, um, but it's it's inter- It seems to be that there might be a little bit of a, a contention going on there.
1: And I think one thing that would that you just made realize is this: every like so we're talking about these systems in which people are working in. Um, so a good example is like certain countries probably do not have that uh, accessible of technology, right? Of like being able to access these sort of mammograms. Yeah, that's a great point. So this is still could definitely be a real world solution in certain places. Yeah, I didn't um, think about that. hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So let's kind of wrap this up. Does that Sweet. sound good? Yeah. So did you want to list a few more or did you just want to go into the wrap up? Oh yeah, let's let's give a laundry list, but we're gonna get into them later. So it's gonna be kinda of like really wet in your appetite. We will include these in the show notes to like go explore. Um cool. But we don't have time to cover them all. Yeah. let's so just kind of rapid fire these.
0: Okay, cool. So um, I'll just do a couple and then you do a couple? Yeah. All right. So one we actually mentioned in another episode was habit reversal. This is a totally packaged technology uh, that it's still evolving a little bit, but it has to do with uh, dealing with, with people who have habits and triggers and that sort of thing. And another one that's pretty well packaged at this point is animal training procedures. Yeah. Uh, there's a few books you can buy. Um, there's, actually, there's a million books you can buy, uh, but there's a couple really solid ones that uh, go over how to do animal training processes. Mm-hmm. And these are also procedures that are being updated, but uh, those are mostly... The these technological processes that are packages now that you can get.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a really old one where the government was like, "Hey, how do we control where our bombs are going because we're just carpet bombing all over the place and yeah. that's not a very smart thing to do." Yeah, a lot they of people actually, die that way. <laughs> they actually trained pigeons how to uh guide bombs mm-hmm. up to a 99% accuracy. That's pretty good. Uh, the government did not fund that and continue with it, but uh kind of a crazy anecdote. It's called Project Pigeon. Yeah. Another one, food, food dudes So Food Dudes uh, started in, I believe, Ireland, moved in the UK and some other places. Nice. And it's actually uh, built into some school systems. It's a two-week intervention uh, built on rewards, repeated tastings, and role modeling. Mm -hmm. Those three components uh, were kind of the ticker process that um, was packaged as a two-week intervention that helped uh, get kids interested in and enjoying eating their fruits and veg. Nice. And. Uh, they can come back a year later after that and see some pretty crazy retention rates, somewhere around like 40%, 50% boosts that nice. sustain after those two weeks. It's pretty cool. Um, so an- another one is, uh, let's say, let's kind of paint a picture of, I, I can't understand these myself, but like this is this is the situation, right? Um, some sort of country, there was some sort of uh, you know civil war, something happened, countries left littered with landmines. Mm-hmm. Um, publics uh, stepping on those and actually people dying, like limbs, like... Horrible situation, right? Right. So they, rather than going in and kind of detecting all those, like the the, the resources aren't there to do that. They actually trained uh, African pouched rats, the hero
0: and, rats. Yes, like <laughs> uh, cool call them hero rats,
1: how to uh, sniff out TNT, identify it. They're actually light enough that they don't trigger it, but then they yeah. can actually come up with the right technology and use that technology efficiently to actually deactivate those sort of things and remove them. Yeah. Um, they actually, use the same rats to, to identify tuberculosis as well. Cool. They actually, sniff that out. So. There's some really cool stuff that's out there we need to dive into more. Those yeah. are a few of them, I'd say. Uh, and Anything else you want to cover? Uh, there's a couple more I wanted to cool. list really quick. Um,
0: there there was one that was developed um, in the 1940s by B.F. Skinner called the Air Crib. Uh, this one's mostly fallen by the wayside. I think you can find it in a museum, <laughs> but otherwise doesn't really yeah. exist. Uh, but it was primarily just a way... Um, I I, want to clarify, this was not a Skinner box, as people may have heard uh, Mm of the thing. This was just a way uh, to try and make um, it easier for parents to um, deal with things like extreme differences in temperature, as well as uh, it was totally walled in, although there was like a plexiglass thing so that the the kid couldn't fall out. So it was really just about um, making it a little bit easier to deal with a newborn. And uh, another one that I'm a huge fan of. And I've used a lot of that. Would definitely need to spend more time on um, is something called direct instruction. Mm-hmm. And there are tons and tons of books you can buy that are full curriculum, fully developed curriculum for teaching things like reading and math, and um, and reading comprehension and stuff. And uh, so it's this. It's a really thoroughly um, researched and developed tech, uh, both technology of the the tools itself, the books mm-hmm. as well as the process. Because it comes intact with you know instructions for the teacher and like yeah. how to deal with um, when kids aren't picking up the lesson the way that the book is intended for them to. So yeah, you can almost
1: pick that up and just teach right away.
0: Yeah, like, it's, it's it's extremely impressive. Yeah, it's like really thorough in how set up that one is. Yeah. So um, I think that's probably all we should cover now, um, and then we cool. have a ton of other things that we can get into later. But uh, those yeah. are a nice overview of some of what the, uh, the the technology, behavioral technology is.
1: Yeah, for sure. So to kind of like wrap up, I think one thing is it'll if you if you can figure it out and you can get all those resources and like really put in the time, this might be like you dedicate your career with a bunch of other people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sort of thing. But you can actually reach a lot of people at scale. Yeah. Um, that. But kind of inherent disadvantage of these sort of things is there's a or uh, not disadvantage, but like hard thing, to, hard obstacle to get over is the amount of resources that it takes. Yeah. I don't know how to find three five million dollars or whatever it is. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like Twenty people to work with me on these sort of things. There's there's ways to go do that you know the big thing now is entrepreneurship um, right. and those sort of things um, but that's that's a couple of things that come to mind anything for you uh, well one another
0: really big advantage to these nice behavioral technologies is that it's it can be a really great way. To uh, quickly get effective technology into the hands that are, are people who are going to benefit from it the most, who are yeah. in places where they're disadvantaged or they're far away from big cities and lots of resources, or you know people who for whatever reason are not likely to be benefiting from these technologies from like one-on-one attention from a professional, mm-hmm. is if you can hand out these tools to even mid-level or lower level interventionists and often just the people themselves, um, if it's nice and tightly packaged, these um, these technologies can be effective to help those people out there. Yeah. So there are definitely some drawbacks, though, that you have to be on the lookout for with the yeah. technology. Um, and one as you sort of mentioned is just that it can it can take a lot of resources. Yeah. Um, it can be difficult to find what you need uh, to make these
1: things available. I mean, even to get started, sometimes it's hard to yep. find the resources you need. Yeah. And you, they can't be this like simple cookie cutter approach. Either, yeah. Right. Like they can sometimes be perceived to be there but they're not fully developed yeah Is absolutely right?
0: sure yeah you might there might be tools that and, and even processes that are uh they're set up to deal with a very specific problem and then people want to try and apply that to a variety of problems that might exist inside of that spectrum yeah I don't have any great examples off the top of my head.
1: Uh, One that kind of is relevant that I I catch a lot in the business world is how everyone's trying to be the next Uber of whatever. yeah. Um, So they're trying to take the same model and bring it everywhere else. Yeah. Um, And it's probably not going to work. Yeah. Uh, It'll work work in some situations, but just not in everything. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of things that need to be kind of tweaked and changed. Um, It's not, you know, you can't just pick these things up. You have to go through the work of actually analyzing what sort of process needs to be developed or changed or altered. Because um, it is a combination of all these things, usually. Uh, you know, a lot of different things coming together. So you can pull relevant components from different places. Right. Um, but it's not this cookie cutter approach.
0: Yeah, the the one size fits all. It's, there's very few, if any, technologies that will really be this uh, – this one size fits all. And there's nothing out there that's going to be a panacea, which is just a cure for everything. Yeah, Like th- that just doesn't really good exist. good example
1: is in uh, that head sprout program is mm-hmm. immediately is differentiating and changing. Yeah. It is one treatment, right? It looks like it's one thing, mm-hmm. um, but it is differentiating right away. Yeah. Um, so it's actually totally different for every learner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Um, and another one that occurred to me is, um, those checklists. And there are some people who went like almost religious with their checklists of, Like, let's get checklists into everything in the world. And checklists can be really helpful in certain situations, but they are one type of intervention that can help in an organizational setting or otherwise and might not apply to all the problems or even to that organization at all. Yeah. Just, it just depends. Not to mention the
1: checklist uh, needs to be followed, right? Yeah, yeah, that's
0: true. (laughs) You can have it just on the wall and people just walk by it. It's a process. Oh, cool. Hi, checklist. Nice to see you. Bye. Another couple uh, – or I guess the last couple things to really bring in in terms of some of the disadvantages, um, which is that there might be – the technology itself might be an element of what is needed mm-hmm. to solve a particular problem but is only a part of that puzzle. And so it might be a little bit effective but not enough to really solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Or it might be effective in a very narrow range. And this is actually similar to that idea of the one-size-fits-all is yeah. that you know it's effective – in a particular setting or for a particular group of people or in a particular situation. um, But it's not necessarily going to be the thing that, that totally solves one problem.
1: Yeah. I'm good there. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think that's a good, good, uh, very good, like thorough introduction. Um, Yeah. And then we'll figure out how to handle these uh, really cool examples in more detail in other ways.
0: Cool. All right. Well that is behavioral technology. That is it. Well, so, there's probably more to say, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but we'll, we'll wrap it up there.
1: Yeah. I think that's perfect. So, uh, I just want to do a quick, uh, what are we probably like, uh, 11 or so weeks out at uh, this point Yeah. on recording. Yeah. So I just want to, uh, don't know who's stuck around, whoever yeah. stuck around. If you're still listening to this. Whoever's giving us feedback. Thank you. Um, yeah. Like, thank you so much. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. There's already like support coming in. So At the time of this recording, we just released our first episode today. Yeah.
0: Um, That's how uh, ahead of schedule we really wanted to be. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And we wanted to be even farther ahead and we'll get there. Um, But like the the amount of feedback has just been overwhelming so far and it makes me extremely happy.
0: Yeah. I Um, I wish almost that we knew what the reception was going to be like at launch day so that we could have earlier on started saying thank you.
1: Yeah. And we're going to be doing that as much as we can kind of retro through some videos and things like that. So watch for that on social media i'm going to work on kind of shouting out um back i personally commented to everyone i'm going to personally work on commenting to every single person as long as we possibly can cool um and it's uh it's one of those things where i came home today and i had like the biggest grin on my face and i was like there's so much stuff to do but i was like so excited like, nice almost in tears like there's just like so much cool stuff going on. so yeah shout out to everybody thank yeah. you
0: Listeners, if you're listening, well, you are because otherwise you wouldn't hear me. Thank you. Yes. All right, this is uh, Abraham signing off. And Rhino out. All right, thanks.
2: You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at wwdwwdpodcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to wwdwwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why we do what we do is Abraham, Ryan O., and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Broussier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.